Kia ora and welcome to this episode of The Amateur Austenite. I'm Frances Duncan, an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand slash Aotearoa. My special guest today is librarian extraordinaire, Heather Mathie. Kia ora everyone. And today we're going to be discussing Letter 30 of Lady Susan by Jane Austen. And it's a Lady Susan letter, so of course I'm going to be reading it. Letter 30, Lady Susan to Mr. DeCourcy, Upper Seymour Street. I have received your letter, and though I do not attempt to conceal that I am gratified by your impatience for the hour of meeting, I yet feel myself under the necessity of delaying that hour beyond the time originally fixed. Do not think me unkind for such an exercise of my power or accuse me of instability without first hearing my reasons. In the course of my journey from Churchill, I had ample leisure for reflection on the present state of our affairs, and every review has served to convince me that they require a delicacy and cautiousness of conduct to which we have hitherto been too little attentive. We have been hurried on by our feelings to a degree of precipitance which ill accords with the claims of our friends or the opinion of the world. We have been unguarded in forming this hasty engagement, but we must not complete the imprudence by ratifying it, while there is so much reason to fear the connection would be opposed by those friends on whom you depend. It is not for us to blame any expectation on your father's side of your marrying to advantage, where possessions are so extensive as those of your family, The wish of increasing them, if not strictly reasonable, is too common to excite surprise or resentment. He has a right to require a woman of fortune in his daughter-in-law, and I am sometimes quarrelling with myself for suffering you to form a connection so imprudent. But the influence of reason is often acknowledged too late by those who feel like me. I have now been but a few months a widow, and however little indebted to my husband's memory for any happiness derived from him, during a union of some years. I cannot forget the indelicacy of so early a second marriage must subject me to the censure of the world and incur what would be still more insupportable, the displeasure of Mr. Vernon. I might perhaps harden myself in time against the injustice of a general reproach, but the loss of his valued esteem I am, as you well know, ill-fitted to endure. And when to this may be added the consciousness of having injured you with your family, how am I to support myself? With feelings so poignant as mine, the conviction of having divided the son from his parents would make me, even with you, the most miserable of beings. It will surely therefore be advisable to delay our union, to delay it till appearances are more promising, till affairs have taken a more favourable turn. To assist us in such a resolution, I feel that absence will be necessary. We must not meet. Cruel as the sentence may appear, the necessity of pronouncing it, which can alone reconcile it to myself, will be evident to you when you have considered our situation and the light in which I have found myself imperiously obliged to place it. You may be, you must be well assured, that nothing but the strongest conviction of duty could induce me to wound my own feelings by urging a lengthening separation, and of insensibility to yours, you will hardly suspect me. Again, therefore, I say that we ought not, we must not yet meet. By removal, for some months from each other, we shall tranquilise the sisterly fears of Mrs. Vernon, who, accustomed herself to the enjoyment of riches, considers fortune unnecessary everywhere, 
and whose sensibilities are not of a nature to comprehend ours. Let me hear from you soon, very soon. Tell me that you submit to my arguments and do not reproach me for using such. I cannot bear reproaches. My spirits are not so high as to need being repressed. I must endeavour to seek amusement abroad, and fortunately many of my friends are in town, among them the Mannerings. You know how sincerely I regard both husband and wife. I am ever yours faithfully, S. Vernon. I do prefer the letters when she's being nasty. You see, I think this one, she's playing both sides against the middle. Both ends against the middle. She's like, I don't want you to come. I really don't want to see you. But the tone of it is like, I don't want to see you. I want you to do what I want you to do. I don't, I'm telling you what we should do. She's not actually asking for his input. I think she's gone a bit OTT. Just a little. I imagine it's much harder to manipulate people when they're not directly in front of you. Trying to manipulate someone by the letter is quite a skill. Well, she's very good at some form of manipulation. I mean, the previous letters show that. But again, the previous letter that you and I spoke about during an earlier podcast, which was from her daughter asking somebody to do something. Again, she's asking someone to do something who also happens to be a male, and they shouldn't be doing this either. She should not be. Oh, no, they're engaged. Yes. So she's allowed to write. Well, yes, but not really, no, because no one else knows. So if, for example, someone came across a letter, if it got misdelivered, so she's sort of saying, we can't do anything yet because your father is expecting you to marry a different daughter-in-law. I'm not ready to tell anyone yet. But imagine if it became public before it was meant to. I mean, she's saying a few months. At this point, it's getting close to a year. If no one else knows that they're engaged, his poor father's going, gee, son, why haven't you married yet? Meet this woman and this woman and this woman. Not that we know that. But if it has been months, People will start looking at him in askance, going, hmm, why isn't he married? And possibly parading, you know, this is Austin. One assumes that ladies are being paraded. That's what does happen in Austin. She's asking a lot, I think. Yeah, stay faithful to me. We're still engaged, but I'm not going to set an actual date for when. Yes. She wants to keep him in her back pocket in case she needs him. Yes. Is she thinking, hoping that there might be someone else who might come along who might fulfill her desires and needs? Well, she said before, while Sir Reginald, his father, is still alive, she's not going to gain much from marrying Reginald. When he becomes Sir Reginald, sure. Yes, but a lot can happen between those two things. And who knows, his father may be long-lived. Yeah. But, like, she doesn't lose anything from keeping an engagement to him. No. But he loses something. Yeah, but she doesn't care about that. Well, exactly. But again, this is where she's manipulating. She holds all the cards, or should I say all the letters. If he remains true to her, he can't go out and make himself available for other young misses. He can't make himself available for the marriage market. 
because he's engaged, but hang on, no one knows. So, But if he did then get engaged to somebody else, she is entirely within her rights to sue him for breaking the engagement. Yes, of course, but again... She's got letters she's that got will prove letters. their engagement. Yes, however, which... the approbation won't be with her, I would say, because she is Lady Susan. If it was a way to get money out of him and not have to marry him, if it wasn't going to hurt her reputation. Because she does, to me, I think sometimes, in some letters, I don't give a toss about my reputation. Couldn't give a monkey's. And in others, she's like, oh, well, we must be circumspect and we must. She is, like I said before, she's playing both ends against the middle. She's like, I'm hedging my bets here. I want to be this independent woman and make my own decisions but I want to stay within the bounds of society, but only the bounds of society that I deem to be the ones that are correct. Yeah, because she talked him out of leaving so she could get him back on side because she didn't want him saying nasty things about her in public and ruining her reputation. If Lady Susan was Sir Sebastian or Lord Sebastian, would we be calling him manipulative? Would we be doing that? It's a very different story when it's a male. Yes. Of her time, yes, that's how she would be seen. Manipulative. And if you compare her with Miss Bingley, for example, who was manipulative in her own way, in Pride and Prejudice, and snippy and slightly mean, and just plain nasty in some cases, it was more obvious. But she she had a means to an end. But that letter does come across as, please... Please do as I say, but don't do as I do. (laughs) She lists a whole lot of reasons for why they can't get married right now. Maybe she's getting a bit of cold feet. (laughs) Uh, One, you should marry to your advantage. Your father requires you to marry a woman of fortune. That's one, okay. Two, I have been but a few months a widow and kind of 2A slash 3, I don't want to displease Mr. Vernon by marrying quickly. 4, I don't want to injure you with your family. Or is that again 1? I think it's a separate point. Because 1 was about the money, but injuring with the family, that's the displeasure of Mr. Vernon. So that's on her side and on his side. And then also... I want to tranquilize the sisterly fears of Mrs. Vernon, who also considers fortune a necessity, not just your father, your sister as well. That's five reasons that we cannot marry just just quite yet. We're just going to delay our union. But again, it's very interesting, even though she does say, I'm concerned about the impact on you, a lot of it is, I, this. I, it's there, I, And yes, I know it's I, a letter from a person. So it is allowed to be I, or this is my, I think this. This is what I want to do, and these are my reasons for it. She doesn't actually say, what are your reasons? It's very one-sided. It's a trying to make arguments to make something the way that she wants it. She refers to the hasty engagement, and that it needs delicacy and cautiousness of conduct, which is very against how she would normally be. And I don't think that ordinarily she'd think it was a hasty engagement. 
either, but she's like, let's just twist a couple of things so I can get the message across exactly the way that I want it to. It's a bit like, I can't believe I'm using this example, but the whole Harry and Meghan thing about who's controlling that narrative, depending on, doesn't matter which side of the fence you're on with those two people, but what Lady Susan is doing is she's controlling the narrative. No pun intended to Jane Austen. She's the one who is in control and wants to be in control. And so she has said, this is how I want it to go. These are my reasons why. Suck it up, buttercup. Or words to that effect. Love you, dear, but this is what I want you to do. Love you. Just don't want to see you. Yes. I do not want to see your face. Or maybe she's doing it because actually she feels it's getting away from her. She is losing that control or she's concerned that she doesn't have the power. Because again, she has been Lady Susan, she's been a widow, and she's been, to use the modern term, she's been standing in her own power. And so now she's become engaged to a man, whom we would hope she loves, but anyway. No, I don't think so. um, After being married before, and, she, and then she's giving away a, some of that power, it could be said, And she will be, if she marries, giving away her independence. She will now become the wife of someone. She won't be Lady Susan, the individual person she was making decisions. It will be expected that her husband will do that for her. She will lose her voice. Not that she will because she's Lady Susan. I can't even see that happening. She's also in a bit of a juggling act. She's trying to juggle... Reginald and Mannering ensuring that they don't know about each other and that they're both kept happy. She mentions the Mannerings, I assume, in case he hears that she's been with Mannering. And she specifically says, I regard both husband and wife. When we know that is very not the case. But she's got these two guys who are in love with her and wanting to see her. And she can't have them meet, and that's really mm. difficult. It's it's kind of lucky that Sir James is a bit more biddable, at least at this point in the story, because, you know, the turning up at Churchill was never planned. She's got two guys. My response these days would be, so, good on her. And again, if she was a male at those times, she'd be sowing wild oats. She'd be doing whatever it is that men of the time do, even widowers. She would be perhaps visiting houses of ill repute if she was a he. He would be allowed to go out and do these things and perhaps have two or three women who would perhaps be of a lower class. He would possibly be having rollicking good times with his servants. Who knows? She can't do that because she's a woman. And even these days, there's still that approbation, possibly not to that effect. but. Imagine if, heaven forbid, the two men did meet. She'd have a lot more to lose. And we're not just talking the engagement here. That would, that, that would be frowned upon. And that's the polite way of putting it. She talks shit about her dead husband, which I don't like. But I mean, yeah, there's lots not to like. Well, again, However little indebted to my husband's memory for any happiness. Oh, 
Do we believe that's true? Is this another story? Not only am I a poor, lonely widow, but I was an unhappy wife. Well, it could be true. Not all marriages are happy. They might start off happy. They don't necessarily stay that way. Or she could just be telling porkies. No one can ask her previous husband, excuse me, is she telling the truth? (laughs) Again, she's controlling the narrative about her husband. I didn't love him, I was unhappy. That could be entirely true. He could have have made her incredibly sad and unhappy, and he, but who knows? If she was unhappy, perhaps he was too. Maybe she just wants to invoke pity. Go, look, poor me. As a woman in these times, maybe she's thinking, well, that's what I have to do to ensure that a man will support me. Act like this sweet woman who really needs the support of a man who didn't get it from her previous one. I kind of feel a bit sorry for him just by the tone of this letter, and I don't know why. Is she talking down to him? It sounds like it. But having said that, she's being a strong, independent woman, and there's nothing, I find nothing wrong with that, so it's very bizarre. Maybe it's just the tone of the letter. I just... It's uncomfortable to see her machinations. Yes. The men in Austin, some of them, do tend to talk down to women. So is it making me feel slightly uncomfortable just because I'm used to Mr. Collins going, there, there, don't worry your pretty little head about it. And when she's doing something a bit similar, I'm like, oh, that's weird. But it's not. It's just because it's coming from a female. I don't know. That's our discussion of Letter 30 of Lady Susan by Jane Austen. I'm Frances Duncan. This has been Heather Mathy. Links to our socials are in the notes. Thank you for listening and we wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice Heavily Pride-focused merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!